Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Bunurong Bun Warung and Wurundjeri Woi Warung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! And welcome to Not The Bees. You know what we're about. You've been here before. Uh, my name is Lawrence, and I am here, as always, with my friend, housemate, and inventor of the number zero, Liam. Yep, that's me. I, uh, thousands of years ago, honestly, yeah. came up with the number zero and revolutionized mathematics. I really have to say, I'm a big fan of your work. Yeah? Like, the, the, the fallout, that little decision you had, it was like, hey, why not just nothing? Oh, man, you should try, kind of change the try game. dividing by it sometime. You know what? I reckon once I'm done on this podcast, I might give that a red hot go. Fucking nuts. <laughs> but this is a very special episode. It is. Liam, this is a very special episode. Because we have a guest, our first guest oh, on the podcast. Wait, what? I know. I didn't ask this person to be here. They just showed up. Surprise. And now we're rolling with it. <laughs> Who um, is it? Well, this is an, an, a real human being. Yes. An actress. Real human being. Wow. She is an actress that you know from Walking with Dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> and Nowhere Boys, The Book of Shadows. <laughs> as well as like... I don't know, Spider-Man Far From Home. home See, Spider-Man that's home the next coming. offer that she's getting in the background. Yeah. Her phone's just Already ringing off ringing. the hook. Sorry. They want her for all they sorts of stuff. Walking with Dinosaurs 2. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, she was in Black Mirror, whatever that is. Um, the Nice Guys, the guy, I don't know. Spider-Man? Arachnid. Eight-legged freak. Arachnid boy, yes. Arachnid boy, the ripoff. Yeah, I was in that. Spider-Monkey. It's Angowry Rice. Welcome to Not The Bees Angowry. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making time and space when I said, hey, can I hijack your podcast? So I really (sighs) appreciate it. You know, we live to serve, really. (laughs) Um, No, it's wonderful to have you here. Gosh, this is exciting. We never dreamed that, you know, individuals with clout would listen to our podcast (laughs) and just happen to want to be on it. Yeah, like actual famous people. I know. I dream about this every night. Every night I go to bed and I'm like, oh, when, when will the day come where I can be on a podcast about all the films of Nicolas Cage? (laughs) Well, that's excellent because that's going to lead me and Gary to my first hard-hitting question. Hard-hitting question, question, question. And Gary, are you ready for your first hard-hitting question? Yes. Because the people know about us, but they want to know about you. Yeah. What was your first Nicolas Cage film? My first Nicolas Cage film, I'm not sure, but it was either... Astro Boy in 2009 or G-Force in 2009. Yeah, G-Force. I watched them both (laughs) around the same time, but I remember G-Force better because I think I watched that multiple times. And I actually have a very distinct memory of writing some sort of G-Force fan fiction or like... No. Like a story that was about guinea pigs. Um, and I like yeah. changed the character names, but it was basically G-Force. And it was just like a page and a half. But I think that's why I remember G-Force better, because for some reason it really spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Astro Boy, Astro Boy, I didn't love as much. Um, and I'm not quite sure which one I watched first. But, but G-Force was definitely more um, influential. Sure, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is a good thank you. There'll be more hard hitting questions. <laughs> hard hitting question, question, question. Throughout the podcast, I can wow. guarantee you that much. G Force is one of the movies that I'm very excited to show Lawrence because yes. I also saw it when it came out. Um, Every couple of episodes, Liam, we, we, we do talk about the G Force. I it's, remind you that G Force is coming. It's a good movie. <laughs> Like, like from what my eight-year-old brain remembers, it's a great movie. I well, I you know the amount that Liam's bigged it up. Sometimes I will wake up in the middle of the night and he'll just be standing over me, going, "G-force is coming," and then he'll just exit the room backwards. <laughs> so, 
you know, there's a lot of hype around this film. Yeah, I won't walk either. Like I'll levitate like yeah. a little bit off the ground. His eyes glow purple. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. Now, and Gary, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you. We uh, have a very special film that we're going to sort of preempt for the listeners right now. If you haven't seen this film, or if you have and you haven't seen it in a while, stop the podcast now and go and watch it, and then come back and listen because we don't want to we don't want to ruin things for you if this is something that you're interested in seeing because it is a great film. It is. I think both of our like if we had a very if we didn't have like a favorite film of the podcast so far yeah we do definitely have one now Absolutely. it's a great movie this is of course moonstruck uh with sure and our boy nicholas cage with and gary song? had with with nicholas cage what did you say before that Sure, share, 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 share. I'm not from here, ain't Gary. <laughs> Neither of you are from here. <laughs> Get hey, out. you want to see Moonstruck? Sure, 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 share, 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 like share, you know, share. Oh, I see, yeah, share. We're share. All right, well, I guess I'm going to be American this podcast with Shore, <laughs> with, with with Sonny and Shore, Sonny and Shore. <laughs> So had you seen Moonstruck before? No, this is my first live action Nicolas Cage movie because <laughs> apart from G-Force and Astro Boy, the only other Nicolas Cage movie I've seen is The Croods, the 2013 <laughs> classic. So you're something of an animated connoisseur of the cage. This is an yeah. interesting development. You know, I have seen all but one of Nicolas Cage's animated films and he's only made four. So I've seen three out of four. And this is because like, I love animated films even as an almost 20 year old. And Mm. I still go to the cinemas and watch all the new animated films that are coming out. And Mm. uh, let me tell you, Croods, you can skip Croods. I know you won't because of this podcast, but you can skip Croods. So anyway, the point is that this was quite... um, this was quite a weird thing for me to see a Nicolas Cage movie. I didn't know. A what man to you love so much in real life. <laughs> it was it was just it was a new experience. I had never seen Moonstruck. I ha- I've seen Cher in Mermaids, which I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. Uh, but no, I had never seen this film before. Wow, okay. And what did you think of the film? I really enjoyed it. I really did. Yes. I really, really liked it. Someone warned me going in that it was going to be weird. And watching it, I was like, no, this isn't weird. And then I thought, no, wait, it kind of is weird. Because, mm. I don't know, it's it's a very simple story when you think about it. There's actually the tension and the conflict is introduced straight away. You know what mm-hmm. it's going to be. You know what the obstacle is going to be. And you know how it's going to be overcome in the end. Mm. Um, through love. Through love, because love conquers all. Yeah. And it's a very sweet and simple story, but it it's just brought to life by these incredibly animated, charismatic mm. performances from Cher and Nicky Cage. I think you mean Cher. I don't <laughs> Cher. Know. Cher. 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 Yeah. Well, that's fantastic that you enjoyed it. This, this would have been a very awkward podcast if Liam and I both loved it and you just abhorred it i don't know we need a bit of conflict on this podcast so (laughs) far yeah we've always agreed basically on every movie we've seen i disagree with that oh you do i do there we go there we go ah Uh, we willed it into being there's our our quota of disagreement (laughs) every 10 episodes we have to disagree about something So if you haven't seen Moonstruck, what we I will do is I'll give a little cheeky uh, little synopsis and then Liam will hit us with the old who's in it uh, and who else is behind the camera and, and in front of the in front of the camera. So here we go. The film follows Loretta Castorini, a widowed 37 year old Italian American woman who falls in love with her fiance's estranged hot tempered younger brother. <laughs> That's it. That's, that's, that's it. Like, yeah, like Anne Gary said, it's a very simple story. A simple story. There's not a whole lot of moving parts. Yeah. So, Liam, do you want to hit us with who's in this here thing? Um, Sure, yeah. Well, obviously, already, um, we've talked about Cher or Sure or Cher, Cher. or Sure. Yeah. Depending on how you... I think I it's subjective. I can't believe you're disrespecting I think she's more Cher like, a, like this. Uh, who? 
I can't believe you're disrespecting Cher like this. No, I'm sure Cherie is fine with it. I think it's more like a, like an art piece. It's up to interpretation. Yeah, yeah, it's really... It's more of a state of mind <laughs> than an actual pronunciation. Uh, Nicolas Cage yep. also plays the brother of her fiancé, the man that she ends up falling in love with, Ronnie Camareri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olympia Dukakis and Vincent Gardenia play Cher's parents, mm-hmm. uh, Rose and Cosmo. Uh, they both received Academy Award nominations, and Olympia Dukakis won... That's exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. And yeah. then uh, the other recognizable name is Danny Aiello, who plays uh, Johnny Camerari, who is yeah. her fiance at the very beginning of the movie. And Ronnie's brother. And Ronnie's brother, yes. the man who she doesn't end up marrying yes, in the right. end. Yeah. Um, Wait. Yeah. Sorry, I Wait. thought it was the other way around. Who's Johnny and who's Ronnie? Ronnie is Nicolas Cage and Johnny is the older brother. What a fake fan. We just I discovered. Was... And Gary's like, I really like this film. <laughs> Doesn't even know what bloody movie she's <laughs> watching. It's a bit of a dick move to name the two brothers Johnny and Ronnie. Yeah, Johnny and Ronnie? Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Johnny, and Johnny Ronnie. Ronnie, and Loretta. Yeah. Yeah. Laurie. Laurie. Johnny, Ronnie, yeah. and Laurie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't and say who, that too fast. Who directed this thing? Uh, it was directed by Norman Jewison who also directed In the Heat of the Night. He directed Jesus Christ Superstar. He did Fiddler on the Roof. He did the original Thomas Crown Affair. Fist. He did direct Fist. That's F-I-S-T. His debut film, 40 Pounds of Trouble, uh, starring Tony Curtis. Yeah, he's been nominated for like seven Oscars. He's, he's, yeah. yeah, This is his favorite film he ever directed, he said. Is it? Yeah, this is his favorite film. Oh, no kidding. That's fun. Did he say why? He just loves cinema. He just fucking loves cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also written by John Patrick Shanley, who Mm -hmm. won an Academy Award for the screenplay. Yeah. Uh, John Patrick Shanley is, I think, sort of equally well known as a, um, for, would you say he's equally well known as a screenplay writer and a like playwright? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. he's also a playwright. He wrote uh, the play Doubt. Yeah. And then adapted that into his own uh, into a film that I think he also directed. He's also coming out with a movie called Wild Mountain Time, which we were discussing off uh, off mic. Yeah. Is sounds horrendous. Yes, a lot of very bad Irish accents in that. The trailer dropped today, so feel free to check that out. <laughs> yeah, um, including bad Irish accents from people who are actually Irish. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's that kind of movie. It is that kind of movie. I did a John Patrick Shanley scene for my showcase at drama school. Oh, you did? I sure did. From from what? Uh, I think it was called The Wild Duck or The Wild Goose. Huh. Yeah, it's an absurdist comedy the piece. The Wild Duck, uh, Duck, Goose? The Wild Duck, 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 Duck. duck. Goose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is quite a that's quite a that's quite a film. Yeah, and then it was shot by a guy called David Watkins who mm-hmm. won an Oscar for Out of Africa. Oh yeah. The um yeah, uh, yeah, the Meryl Streep movie. He shot uh hold on. Out of Africa's beautiful. Chariots of Fire. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> A movie called Tea with Mussolini, which sounds great. Yeah. And Return to Oz, that film that gave everyone nightmares because of the Wheelers. Oh, I the Wheelers. never saw it. <sighs> Hold on, Return let me pull to Oz. Straight up, don't watch that film. It was in Return to Oz. You want to give your children What's inherited that? trauma. It's it's the when Dorothy returns to Oz. And That's not it's, the, it's not the great and powerful Oz with James uh, Franco, is it? No, no, no. This is back in like the 80s or 90s. Oh, it's got a... Before my time. It's got like these uh, couple of different... I can't remember what they're called. I like how you say before your time, like it's not also before Larry in my time. No, yeah. you, you guys on. were in your mid-30s then, right? That's true. Actually, yeah. this brings me to my second and Gary Rice fact. Fact. Wait, fact, what? <laughs> fact. And Gary Rice fact. 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 My first one, rather. Fact. Angari was born in 2014 and has accomplished a great deal in that short time. I personally am a big fan of her 2013 film, These Final Hours. Yeah. We watched that together. We did. It was a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Angari Rice. Fact. Fact. Yeah. Such a great actress. She was acting in movies before she was even born. I know. Incredible. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, back to it. (laughs) (laughs) So, why don't we dive on into this film? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
So uh, this film made uh, 80.6 million at the box office off a 15 million dollar budget. That's good. Which is a nice, healthy return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was acclaimed and it won all the Oscars, as Liam was saying. Roger Ebert, our regular reviewer, gave it four stars, added it to his out great of, movies. I think out of four, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Roger Ebert gives four star ratings. Um, uh, added it to his great movies list, which is a very prestigious list, mm. in 2003, and said, The most enchanting quality about Moonstruck is the hardest to describe, and that's the movie's tone. Reviews mm. of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy, and that it is. But there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes across as ineffably romantic, and a certain magical quality that is reflected in the film's title. And then he summed up the review by saying, this is the best comedy in a long time. Wow, high praise. High praise indeed from from the big man. Roger E. So the film, here's the film, Liam. We're getting to the film. We're getting to the film. Oh boy. Uh, Is that what we're doing? I think so. I mean, if you're comfortable with that. If you can't, I mean, you did just show up here. So <laughs> yeah. do, we do tend to do this. Um, where to start with this film, really? Uh, do you, Liam, you, you got, um, do you want to start? Well, I, my first note is that even when Cher is like deliberately meant to be kind of dressed down and a little unglamorous, she still looks incredible. She's stunning in She's this film. She's so beautiful. Yeah. Like even with the kind of like frizzy graying hair yeah. and the sort of like unglamorous yeah. sort of skirts and jacket. Yeah, she still looks great. Yeah. It's the and bone I, structure. It all comes <laughs> down to the bone structure. It's her cheekbones and yeah. her beautiful nose and forehead. Her like it's dazzling eyes. Dazzling yeah. eyes. Beautiful eyes. Oh my God. Dazzling She's stunning forehead. in this movie. She's yeah. Absolutely really great stunning. Maybe she's born with it. And maybe she's definitely born with she's it. She's definitely born with it. Yeah. And it's just so born refreshing. With the bone structure. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's not like when when she's dressed down. Yes, even though she looks fantastic, it's not like you know in a Meg Ryan type of film where it's like, oh yeah, we all know she's gorgeous, but we're just kind of pretending. Okay, like first, of, gen- but hold up. What, what are you saying about Meg Ryan? Because uh, I love Meg Ryan. nothing against Meg Ryan. I know I love Reg Ryan, Meg Ryan movies as <laughs> Reg well. Reg Ryan. Reg Ryan. Reg Ryan. But like Cher, just kind of like she just goes for it. Yeah. In in age and she just totally inhabits this role. She actually turned down the role um because she's a uh she's a bookkeeper in the movie. That's her that's her yeah, a bookkeeper at a, like a at a funeral a, home. Yeah, yeah. A morgue. And she turned it down because she didn't think she'd be able to relate to be a bookkeeper because she's such an extravagant spender in real life. She didn't <laughs> think she'd be able to bring in authenticity. But everything she did in this film uh, it's a note I made about it, particularly when she's at home and she's, you know, she's going to the kitchen drawers and she's getting mugs out. And she's eating. She feels really inhabiting yeah. this world and this character. Mm. And um, I thought she was just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. yeah she I totally get why she won the Oscar for it. Also, like, there's only one scene where she's doing her bookkeeping business at the funeral home. And I wish yeah. there had been more because that guy... In that yeah. scene, there's a there's a guy who comes in and it's one of the opening scenes and he says, I'm a genius. I made him look better than he did when he was alive. And I <laughs> wanted that guy to come back. I wanted yeah, more sure. scenes. <laughs> I wanted more scenes at the funeral home with the bookkeeping because I thought that guy was hilarious and yeah. it wasn't that clear what she did. I don't know. I, I, I feel like there might have been more scenes there, but they were cut. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I can't imagine her at the end of the movie going back to the morgue. Yeah. Or, or, or Ronnie going back to the bakery. Yeah. Yeah. Too much has happened. There's no, if there was ever a movie that deserved a bit of fan fiction from Larry, it's this one. <sighs> Maybe I should have. I haven't prepped anything, I'm afraid. Oh, well. It was, I enjoyed the film too much. I didn't yeah. want to taint yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's such yeah. a great movie. And this whole film, like that, like that line of, uh, I made him look better than when he was alive. This film is full of such choice one-liners. It is mm. very quippy. It's a very quippy movie. Very sort of East Coast. Liam was educating me on East Coast and West Coast comedy. Oh, it's just that very kind of like dry East Coast humor, Slightly sardonic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But without like feeling insincere and cheap as well. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, even I feel like you can so easily slip into that that mistake of like having all these quippy one-liners and then there's no substance to it. But I feel like there's so much to this movie in a very quiet way also because you've got all these 
you've you've got three storylines about love that are all connected by the moon which i also i wondered um how you would feel about this lawrence because I am interested in a little bit of that, you know, hippy dippy shit of like, oh, the moon and feeling moonstruck and falling in love at the, mm. when the moon is like at its biggest. And that's yeah. kind of the, there's like an underlying kind of magical tone to the whole thing, which I really love. Yeah. Well, well, Liam made a very good point at the end of the film and it's worth sort of, as opposed to waiting to the, get to the end of the film, we'll talk about it now, where you made a comment about it feels like a Shakespearean play, the resolution to the film. It did feel a little bit Shakespearean, like a Shakespearean comedy. Yeah. In the way that, you know, you've got all the characters in one place and everything's wrapped up and everyone's entering and we're all, mm. all going to sort out our problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we sat and we went back through the rest of the film and we went, well, you know, of course, John Patrick Shani is a playwright and... um the director directed a lot of this play, particularly that final sequence in the dining room where they resolve everything. They rehearsed it as a play and then they shot it. He sent all the crew away and they rehearsed it as a play. Mm. And so that element of the magical nature of the moon and, you know, you've got the comedic side relief characters and you've got very high stakes in sort of like a very, re- realistically, it's quite low stake. The whole thing sort of played out like a like a classical comedy. Um mm. Yeah, and it felt a bit, you know, Midsummer Night's Dreamy, and um, yeah, I th- yeah, I, I was, I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm. Um, yeah, it, I mean, also, we're not even getting into like what house the moon was in, and yeah. you know, what sign is on the ascendant. <laughs> it's is like is Jupiter ascending? It could be. Yeah, yeah. Is Mercury in in Gatorade? Yeah, is Mercury in Gatorade? <laughs> <laughs> well, have you, have you gone on a rant about? astrology on this podcast yet no of course not i'm a professional okay save it Thanks, for another Santera. time i'll save it for i'll save it for is when i do a, an episode drunk is there a nicholas cage movie where astrology plays like oh, a considerable part i don't know but i am i would look forward to that if there is <laughs> yeah um a little teaser for the audience about lawrence's hard-hitting opinions um <laughs> Which takes us to another Angari Rice fact. Oh, God. Angari Rice fact, 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 fact. Fact. Angari Rice doesn't believe in ever backing down, which is why she will always accept a fist fight from you. <laughs> and she's surprisingly Don't good. She that. is very nimble and she she is incredibly uh though she be but little she is fierce both you and i have made the mistake of challenging her to a fist fight and i know we came out on the losing end i know times. we should have challenged her at the same time as a to think yeah i can take a one-on-one but no even then i would have my doubts <laughs> i'd give it even odds <laughs> it's Back all to the, the oats that i eat it's all the oats yeah, yeah. she's an oat you're lady. like you're like popeye and his spinach Exactly. It's like squeezing raw oats I've from the bag. I've got a really, really skinny neck as well and yeah. really skinny. What does he have? Like huge forearms, but huge skinny forearms. upper arms? Yeah, yeah that's something right. Something like that. But oats just make you have really big fists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Harry walks around on her fists like a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to the sort of the characters in this film, they all of them sort of just skirt down the the line of sort of caricature into this sort of sardonic world but they never fully tip into caricature yeah as roger ebert said it is an ethnic comedy but it never fully tips into like it never tips into parody it never tips into anything that doesn't feel wrapped in some level of authenticity i wrote that all of the characters are just constantly like low level exasperated yes (laughs) (laughs) like that's their kind of baseline emotional state is this just real kind of like brooding like oh yeah at everything let's talk the boy true Cage. yeah where is the first time we see this boy <laughs> oh, it's so and and gary, oh, and gary maybe you want to take yeah us. and gary maybe. take us through because, this. where is the first time we see because the boy i was watching this separately um mm-hmm. to liam and larry unfortunately i'm not their third housemate um i would wreak havoc because they would always challenge me to fist fights and I would always win Um, so I was watching this separately and I texted Lawrence and I said oh my god the first scene with Nicolas Cage has me dead 
And the first time we see him, so the setup is that Cher has to call Nicolas Cage um, and say, I'm getting married to your brother, please come to the wedding. She she has to settle the bad blood between the brothers. Yeah. So she calls the bakery where he works and um, a woman picks up and Cher asks for Nicolas Cage and then she transfers Nicolas Cage onto the phone. We never see his face. We just mm. see a sweaty back. Oh, it's the a... return of sweaty cage, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> a sweaty back with a tattoo on his shoulder blade that's hidden by a white tank top. He's very dirty. He looks way too dirty to be making food and serving it to people. Just like inexplicably <laughs> grubby. And we never see his face. It's just his like sweaty neck and then he gets mad at Cher on the phone and hangs up and that's the first time we see him that second time we see, time we see him see. Cher goes to the bakery actually mm. confronts him and then he turns around and we see that it's Nicolas Cage in his sweaty bread making glory oh yes and what a scene that is what a scene, scene. incredible what a scene that is that is uh N- Nicolas Cage because um in case you've missed a previous episode, Nicolas Cage removed two of his own teeth for the film Birdie. Uh, and so in this film, he has returned to his toothless nature. Yeah. And the big twist is what's wrong with his hand, Liam? Um, it's been mangled. It's been amputated. He has a prosthetic hand, um, which we find out is because he was talking to his brother, uh, Johnny, uh, and was operating like a bread slicer at the same time and something slipped and he got his hand cut in the bread slicer yeah. and mangled. And that's Ooh. where the bad blood between them comes from. And he, then Nicolas Cage's fiance, his old fiance left him because he lost his hand. And so he's just, he, he just internalized it. Yeah. He, this is, you know, the eighties when men didn't process their emotions. And so he, he just Sorry, has not the moved 80s past when it. men didn't process their emotions. Yeah. As if that hasn't continued. No, men are very open, sensitive beings now in Gary, don't you know? Everyone's a feminist. Hashtag no tall men. <laughs> no tall men. So yeah, so so he is he now works the spread shop with his wooden hand and he hates women uh, because he doesn't want to accept love and he lives his life as he says he's a lone wolf. Yeah. And he keeps referring him to himself as a wolf. And then he calls Cher a wolf. And everyone's a fucking wolf. He's and very he's a intense. wolf. He's very intense. Very he, intense. He, he is really having a lot of fun with this character. Like, he's just... Yeah. He's got dyed black hair as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. He's, he's also not as muscly. He's slimmed down quite a bit. No ass. No ass. Oh, the absence of ass on this character. There is minimal ass. See, minimal. I was like... I was... I had a keen eye out for any um, evidence of ass because I know you guys talk about this on the on the podcast and I wanted yeah. to, you know, offer my insight. But because this is my first live action Nick Cage film, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. Of course. So yeah. I really have no insight except for there might have been a bit of ass, but that's just no. my untrained eye. That's you've got your baseline ass now, and now you can <laughs> compare all the other ones to uh, to this. Yeah. But he does in this scene have the most incredible monologue. Yeah. I think I I think out of all of the Nick Cage films we've seen so far, the most incredible bit of scripting and probably performance, um, where you really begin to see the Nick Cage that we that we do know and love. Um, he holds his hand aloft, his wooden hand. And says, I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to pack all my feelings away and just forget? (laughs) Bread is life. I wrote that down. I was like, yes, bread is life. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And it is incredible. That moment, um, he has said, was um, going back to his love of German Expressionist cinema was very directly influenced by... What was it? It was Metropolis. It was Metropolis, The professor in Metropolis holds his black gloved hand high and speaks to his hand. And so he was very much mimicking directly that that thing of talking to the hand. But can I ask what your your reaction was when you 
saw that scene? Like, how did you as an audience respond? We we just nodded. And no, we were both like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> well, my response, I mean, I watched it with my mum and we mm. both laughed. Yeah. Because we yeah. thought it was funny. And I, but I also don't think that's an incorrect uh, response. Like, I don't think he was playing it for laughs and I don't think it is supposed to be comedic but i think it is kind of like as you said everything in this movie is kind of a bit on the edge of exasperated and ridiculous yeah without fully going there and so i think he like pushes it that one step further where it's like this is quite ridiculous Mm. i can't help but laugh but you also believe him and you feel sorry for him um, totally yeah and it's yeah. it's quite a fine balance that i think he manages to pull off and also that's when you really understand this character and you're like oh this character is so intense i know that when he falls in love he is gonna fall in love hard and it's gonna be yeah. all-consuming and yeah. passionate yeah. yes very much and very you, much you need something a little bit out there to kind of counterbalance his brother's just fecklessness yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah really like his yeah absolute inability to live yeah and it, it sort of culminates in like this scene as well when when ronnie tells the girl that loves him in the bakery there's a bakery employee who, who's in love with ronnie says you know oh, whatever your name is go and get a knife i'm gonna cut my own throat and she's like, I'm not going to do it, Ronnie. Yeah. And he's like, do it. He's like, I'm not going to get you a knife, Ronnie. He's, he's like, then I'll do it myself. Right. Bring me the big knife. The big knife. <laughs> yeah. Brings him a butter knife. <laughs> this is the biggest knife I have. <laughs> the way that Nicolas Cage is so, I wouldn't say over the top, because I don't know where the top is and how do you go over it. True. We've seen, I mean, we're about to get to Vampire's Kiss, which I think is most definitely close, if not the top, very close. Yeah. So with this, but Nicolas Cage's character, it makes sense for him to be so impassioned. He has this incredible heightened language written by Shanley. He says, you know, um, Cher says to him, uh, you have such a head for knowing. I think it's Cher that says it to him. And he goes, sorry, who? share yeah chair oh okay um, I, I get you now. <laughs> and i think it's nick cage that says the little birds and stars birds fly to the stars i guess <laughs> and then they have sex and it's like okay cool i it worked for me yeah it's just bizarre. that was the one you know what that was the one part that i didn't like was and i never really liked this in film and tv is that angry passionate kissing where two pe- where two characters are ha- like fighting mm. and they're yelling at each other and then they kiss like passionately and then like neither of them really knows what's happening and then they look like they're going to hit each other but then they go and have sex and I'm never a huge fan of that. I don't know why. It just always seems yeah, a little why and Gary? Why? Well, okay. I guess it just I don't think it's very I feel like often it's a shortcut. Yeah. Without, sure. you know, expanding on like, okay, where can we find a tender moment? Where can we find this like tipping point for these two people to like get them over the edge into this into this area of romance? Mm. Um so I didn't I do think in the in the context of this film and in the passion of these two characters I do think it worked but I think it also it wasn't my favorite but I do think they they managed to pull it off because I think Cher matched Nicolas Cage's ridiculousness and over-the-topness and passion and aggression Mm. not necessarily in that scene but in some of the earlier scenes with her parents but yeah yeah. Because, I mean, the, the line that Cher says to um, Nicolas Cage right before they go off to to do it is she slaps him and says, you son of a bitch, I'm taking you to bed. <laughs> and then they go, and it's just like, yes, excellent. There we go. No, but my favorite quote, apart from Breda's life, is when right <laughs> the morning after, Cher 
is yelling at Nicolas Cage like oh my god what have we done it's because of the moon like I've just cheated on my fiance with his own brother and he's like I'm in love with you and she slaps him and she goes pull yourself together (laughs) (laughs) the best so iconic just like I love it. I love it so much. It, it, I love it so much. There are so many great lines. I wrote down, well done, John Patrick Shanley. Yeah. The one-liners in this film are, are brilliant. They are very good. But you know what else is brilliant in this film? This is a real, and this is a favorite thing of Liam. Liam, and I know this, loves a food film. I love You want to take us away with that? Food movie. I just love a movie that has really good food and where food doesn't even necessarily play like an important part in the movie, but it's just always like there Mm. and the characters are always eating and there's just like, you know, just the right amount of attention that's given to the food in the movie. And I think that this is one of those movies. Food movies and Italian movies tend to overlap. Yeah. Quite heavily. (laughs) Yeah. Like The Godfather's a good food movie. Goodfellas is a good food movie. Mm -hmm. Um... What else are good food movies? You also mentioned Miyazaki movies are good food movies. Yeah, yeah. Famous Italian uh, Hayao Miyazaki. um, Very good food movies. I would put forth Marie Antoinette as a good food movie. That is also a good food movie. I just remember so many beautiful shots of desserts. Yeah. Well, yeah. Particularly with like um, cultures, you know, films that are strongly embedded in culture in a culture that isn't, you know, anglicized. (laughs) <laughs> um, like like this, you know, New York Italian film. It would it, it would feel like there's a character missing if the food isn't there because Italian culture and food are so intertwined that if you were to remove, if you weren't to pay enough attention to the food, um, in the film, it would feel like there's some sort of absence there. Um, so it's really nice that it it was sort of given its own yeah place in the film. Um. And that that restaurant, there is there is they often go to restaurants in this film, and the restaurants are just the prime place for breaking up with people. Oh, in, it's uh, good. It is it is very. Who good. breaks up with someone in a restaurant though? That's so awkward. And then like, what about like if it's after? It would make sense to do it after a meal, mm. right? So you can just like skedaddle out of there. But then you've just like shared this whole meal, like lying to this person that you're gonna break up with them at the end. Mm. But if you do it before, then what? You've taken someone out to a restaurant and then you, one of them has to leave and then you don't get your food or who pays for the food? Like, Well, no, because then you get to have that fun line that everyone who got broken up with in the film says, all right, uh, you can clear away her place and I'll just have a glass of wine. I thought it was a vodka. No, it's oh, it was a vodka. That's right. <laughs> yes. You, you, you wouldn't get that incredible line if you didn't take them to a restaurant in Gowrie. I guess some things have to be sacrificed for theatricality. <laughs> there is, um, there's a fantastic scene in this film, um, which is, again, it's very sort of Shakespearean in the, um, the crossing paths and people in disguise is the opera um, where... Cher gets all glammed up. She decides to get rid of the grey in her hair, which causes a great um, kerfuffle amongst the community. Every shop they go into, the mum says, um, she's getting rid of the grey in her hair. And everyone goes, oh, she's finally getting rid of the grey in her hair. And you realise the whole community is really invested in Cher getting rid of the grey in her hair. (laughs) Cher gets glammed up. Nicolas Cage looks really nice in a three-piece suit. And they go to see the opera, because Nicolas Cage's character um, is a great romantic for the opera. At the same time when... Cher's dad is also taking his mistress to the opera. And, a refreshingly uh, age-appropriate mistress. A refreshingly age-appropriate mistress. Uh, it's worth noting in this film that Cher is, in real life, is 18 years older than Nicolas Cage. And Olympia Dukakis, really? yeah, who is who plays Cher's mum, is only 15 years older than Cher. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fun, sexy twist. Wow. What did, any, what did everyone think of the opera scene? I I loved the opera scene. I mean, look, naively, my first thought was, how is Nicolas Cage affording last-minute tickets to the opera at the Met? I don't know how expensive these tickets are, but in my brain, I'm like, wow, they're really expensive, and he works at a bakery, and he lives above the bakery, and he... he I don't know. Is... Does he have a hookup? Is he secretly very rich? Are tickets to the opera at the Met not even that expensive I don't know well his, his, um, his apartment's fairly 
spare, sparsely furnished, he probably spends all his money on the on the tickets to the Met. There you go. Uh, but no, apart, aside from that, I I really loved the opera scene. I loved. There are so many shots where they just cross paths. Mm. But the two people who know each other, so obviously Cher and her dad, don't meet until the very end. But there are lots of shots where Cher, um, you know, where the mistress, I don't remember her name, sadly, is, you know, primping herself in the bathroom and Cher walks behind her and she's out of focus. And it's like, it's not this important lingering shot of like, oh, wow, what a missed opportunity. But Mm. it's, they just keep like accidentally crossing paths until the very end and they have that moment but I also liked how it wasn't it wasn't totally dramatic like oh my god you're cheating on my mother just at the end she turns to Nicolas Cage and she goes that woman is not my mother Mm. and it and she's kind of in shock after that and I I quite liked how you know we there was a slow build-up, but at the end, it actually wasn't this overblown, dramatic thing in a public place. It was actually quite uh, subtle and mm. tense. Mm. What do you think, Liam? Um, I I really enjoyed it. I think I tuned out a little bit during the like actual opera opera scenes, or like the bit where there's the shots of the stage. Yeah, where they're listening to the opera. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break, and I'll come back when they're done. <laughs> What, you don't love opera as much as Nicolas Cage? Oh, I don't think anybody loves opera as much as Nicolas Cage. Well, we, we did love one component of it, where it is primarily a soprano singing on stage, and I'm not sure what, what opera it is, but the soprano is holding hands with this man in the winter, and she's singing at him, and this dude never utters a note on stage, and we were laughing that, is this guy, did he just, he, he's an extra, and he just lied on his resume about having to sing opera? And he's, you know, he gets the job and they put him on stage and they think he's thinking that they're going to get him to sing. And he's just shitting himself going, oh, please don't make me sing. Please, for the love of God, do not make me sing. Because we never hear him sing. There's a bit where he has to sing, but they always keep cutting before they get to it. It's like, ah, okay. I think that's the time for another hard hitting question. Hard hitting. So, Anne Gowry. Yeah. If you could retroactively cast Nicolas Cage in any of the film or TV projects you've been in, what would it be? (laughs) That I've been in? Yeah. So I would act opposite Nicolas Cage in something. Yeah. Wow. Um, like Nicolas Cage as he is in Moonstruck or a current Nicolas Cage or... Oh, what do we reckon, Liam? Like... Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I reckon, um, I reckon it's current Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, seeing... Well, that makes it a little harder because I haven't seen current Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. Camera. That's true. Or okay. Nicolas Cage, depending on the movie you choose, Nicolas yeah. Cage depending. is like that okay. age yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what films have I been in? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I forget. Well, do you know, the first thing that came to mind was, um, no, but then now I feel bad. Oh my God. Because then I'll have to kick another actor who I worked with out of their job. That showbiz baby. Because <gasps> I was going to answer something, but then I thought, oh no, what about the guy I'm who actually sure played that they role? won't be offended. <laughs> It's Nicolas Cage. It'll be an honor. Well, I think, you know, as an addition to the cast of... I think I think Nicolas Cage would bring a lot to the cast of Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the role of... In the film, we have all the students go on a field trip and we have two teachers played by Martin Starr and J.B. Smoove. They're hilarious. Love them as the teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think Nicolas Cage would be a great addition as one of the teachers. Yeah. He could go really, like, over the top, um, like he does in Moonstruck, be really kind of out there and wild and um, slot into that place of, like, the kooky teacher that everyone knows is really kooky. So okay. there you go. That's my answer. 
I would I would retroactively cast Nicolas Cage as the Miley Cyrus character from your Black Mirror episode <laughs> as the uh, pop star, the teen teeny bop pop star who yeah. gets turned into a robot type situation. I think that I think that would be nice. In a purple wig. In a purple wig, yeah. And thigh high pleather boots. Would, yes. How would you feel acting against you know like this tiny robot Nicolas Cage? Well. Uh, it would be an experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I will say in real life, acting against that robot was absolutely terrifying and creepy because it did move Uh um, and it was controlled by, you know, a remote control. So it was moving in the scene. And I think, yeah, making it a Nicolas Cage doll would just add another flavor. I think maybe you might... add another layer of spice. It's all about the spice. The spice. It is about the spice. Liam... If you had to retroactively add Nicolas Cage to any of Angari's screen projects, what would it be? I think my first thought was that Nicolas... I really wanted Nicolas Cage to be one of the versions of A in every day. But, like, present-day Nicolas <laughs> yeah. Cage. Like, you wake up one day and you have to, like, figure out how to be in love with Nicolas Cage. And he's not playing a character. It's Nicolas Cage. It is Nicolas Cage. Like, A is... Nicolas Cage happens to be there and... Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, look, that would be such an experience. It really would. It really would. Also, because, you know, the way we shot that film, like, I would have, I would shoot one day with a new actor and have to pretend to be, you know, in love or connected to this person I had met that day. Mm. So it would definitely be a challenge for both me and Nicolas Cage to pretend like we knew each other mm. really deeply on a very personal level, having only just met that day. Well, I mean, you are a fan of G-Force, so that you can definitely bring I that up to, to, uh, to, to break the ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many great answers. So many great <laughs> Yeah, I I reckon we should petition to get that uh, to get him deep faked into that film. That would or just be great. reshot, release the cage cut. Yeah, yeah. If uh, I ever, you know, I kind of hope that I never get the opportunity to work with Nicolas Cage because I would, if I met him, it would be so embarrassing because my entire thought process staring at him would be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I did a podcast about you. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want more than anything for Angari to do a job with Nicolas Cage. I want both I of you to work with Nicolas Cage. I w- Angari, it'd be lovely to work together again, wouldn't it? We've worked together a couple it of would. times. Wouldn't it be yeah, lovely it if the you great. and I were to work with Nicolas Cage? With Nicolas Cage. I we wonder, do you, think, do you think he <laughs> has listened to... Because you said that there were a, a, multiple Nicolas Cage podcasts out there. Oh, yes. This is you know, a saturated genre. Do you think he's listened to any of the Nicolas you know, Cage I'm podcasts? sure there's been a, a, some sort of idle curiosity that's creeped upon uh, him to, to listen to it, I'm sure. I, my hot take is that Nicolas Cage doesn't even know what a podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Was it some kind of like vegetable or something? Or some kind of pot? Or well, what are we doing? Yeah, he couldn't like, even I'm... listen to it if he wanted to. <laughs> Well, who's the guy who sings Never Gonna Give You Up? Rick, Rick Astley. Astley. Yeah. I watched an interview with him on Graham Norton and he said that he is totally aware of all the memes yeah. and of being Rickrolled. And he says he's been Rickrolled too many times to count. So he is like completely hyper aware of any time that, you know, Rickrolling mm. becomes a thing again or like mm. people turn him into a meme. Mm. So surely... I'm surely, surely Nicolas Cage. I mean, Cage. Nicolas Cage, he's very aware of the memes and everything, like Pickleless Cage and the whole sort of I can has cheeseburger. He's, he's, he's talked about it in mm. interviews. He's definitely, whether or not he's aware of the podcast versions of all that. But he mm-hmm. loves it. He, he's, he's fine with the memes. He thinks it's great that he's managed to reach like another generation. Yeah. Um, I, I take my hat off to him for that. Um, but I think what set, hopefully if he does listen to this one, he what sets us apart, not the bees, is we genuinely love the man. We do, we do, we do, and we, oh, we do, we do, and we think. And he's I am a, I am a convert. I am a convert <sighs> to the cage. I truly <sighs> loved his performance in this movie. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I do want to now. I want because you said that there was like a, uh, you were coming up to like a a a patch of like critically acclaimed cage films. Heck yeah. 
in this 80s, early 90s era. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to watch more now. Oh, well, we'll have to get you back on the podcast at some point. No, you don't have to. No. It's okay. You can banish me. No, no. I mean, you'll just show up if you want to show up anyway. I mean, yeah, that, true. that's kind of... That's true. I'm camping outside with the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You listen. She back. Real fan. Wow. I do oh. listen. And I, I loved how complimentary you were of string instruments because yeah. uh, I play I played a string instrument and how much you hated brass. <laughs> it's really the only viable opinion. That's very They're true. They're too loud. There's, yes. There's They're too loud. One truth. That takes us to our final Angari Rice fact, 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 fact. Angari Rice fact, 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 fact. Fact. What is it? Angari isn't her real name. It's actually Kenneth, but she doesn't want you to know that. That's our I final. I don't want you. Why would you bring that up? I don't want people to know. Because we're all about the one truth, truth, truth. Jesus, Larry. But there's also, you know how when you join SAG. When you join SAG or you join a union, you have to make sure that your name isn't the same as anyone else's. Yeah. That's why I had to change my name because my real name is actually Kenneth Branagh, which is very awkward because obviously there's another very well-known Kenneth Branagh. Oh, really? So that's... (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's... (laughs) Didn't you know? Huh. Um, Like, what's he done? What's he... Like a bunch of Shakespeare stuff. Ah, for nerds. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He was in Harry Potter. Don't know if you've heard of about that series nerds probably not yeah it's 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 it doesn't have a huge following ah bag of weenies yeah it seems like a bit of a cult thing (laughs) yeah yeah a bit niche bit niche for us yeah now there is someone i want to bring up in this film in moonstruck which is the grandfather oh yeah who walks dogs inexplicably late at night and stands down on a pier and cat calls the moon this man is who I want to be in like 60 years. <laughs> he has everyone's eyebrows mm-hmm. in the film. Um, <laughs> he is he's supplied and then surpassed the quota of eyebrows required for uh, an Academy Award nominated and winning film. Um, <laughs> and he is just inexplicably grouchy all the time. And I love him. He's great. Yeah. He's brilliant. Can I just say that I actually have done that before where I've gone to the end of a pier with my dog when the moon was particularly large or bright and howled at the moon and encouraged my dog to howl at the moon with me. Really? Yes. Yes, really. If you have access to a pier, a dog and a bright moon. Yes. You just feel this urge to like go to the edge and like howl at the moon. Well, there we go. We get a lovely little insight into Angari Rice. Yeah, Angari Rice providing her own <laughs> yeah. fun facts. Fun, fun facts about Angari Rice. Fun facts about myself. Oh, and and did your dog howl or did your little whippet just sort of stand there? No, my little whippet just stood there uh, and was like, "I don't get it." Uh, and I was like, "No, like this." She's like, "Nah." No. Nah. Oh my gosh. Well, well Larry, wow. you do that in your sleep. I mean, I do I've, that. I've heard you doing that in your sleep. Yeah, but that's because I'm. That's because I am a werewolf. Oh, I see. But like, only on the bottom half. I just, I just, my, I get like backwards knees and a tail. Team Jacob. Team Team Jacob, and uh, yeah, You're like a weird cross between like a werewolf and a, a satyr, satyr. Yeah, like with the goat bottom half. But yeah, I believe it's been share. Share. I read Percy Jackson. Maybe this is a good time to talk Percy about the, the original title of this movie. That's a very good segue, Liam. Let's do that. Liam, what was the original title of this film? Well, as per Nicolas Cage, it was originally going to be called The Wolf and the Bride. Yeah. Um, which is an infinitely... The Wolf and the Bride? The yeah. Wolf and the Bride. An infinitely worse title, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Than Moonstruck. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because Nicolas Cage does talk about this in an interview where he he you know there's all these references to him being a wolf and he tells you know Chair that she's a wolf that chewed off her own foot. Everybody's a wolf. Everyone's a wolf, and Everyone's your mum's a wolf. A wolf. And all then, men are wolves. And the wolves. grandpa is a wolf howling at the moon. Yeah, and Gary's a wolfing at the moon. And I am also howling at the moon. At, and so he he talks about how he influenced his voice by this. What was the film? I can't. Was it some The Wolfman or something? One of those old sort of Hammer mm. horror films, or it was like a French um, horror film. And he influenced his performance by this. 
um, this kind of gravelly voice. And then it was only years later when he was chatting to John Patrick Shanley that um, Shanley said, that's funny that you made those decisions how to play your, play your character as like this wolf man because the original title was The Wolf and the Bride. And Nicholas Cage was like, ah, vindicated. And um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, I, I much prefer the title Moonstruck mm-hmm. because I think it ties together all three storylines, four storylines that we have going on, how everyone sees this big bright moon and how, you know, we've got these three couples Mm. influenced by the moon. And they're all Italian. Um, And they're all Italian. Funny Italians. And also... Getting turned on by the moon. (laughs) Also because I feel like the Wolf and the Bride title has this kind of like, you know, taming of the shrew connotations Shakespeare again again but like I don't know not in a good way (laughs) this time like the wolf and the bride I don't know it just seems to like I think it you know places share in the role of the bride and him as the wolf whereas I think the point is that they're both a bit of wolf in they both have a bit of the wolf in them it does make it a little bit more kind of fably yeah. the title the wolf and the bride than which would kind of fit into its magical struck. it's semi-magic yeah, um, yeah I think magic so. realism um i just i'm still not sure what to make of all of that kind of like imagery and all of that rhetoric that he sort of like weaves throughout the movie the wolf and the bride yeah the mice they, and the men yeah, the <laughs> The Catcher and the Rye. The Catcher. The Rye was the real star the, of that book. Yeah. The Animals and the Farm. Ah, yes, of course. A classic. Uh, the 19 and the 84. <laughs> the Big and the Brother. <laughs> the Lord and the Flies. Ah, yes. Oh. Another classic. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think, I don't think this, I don't think he's particularly inviting us to stare too deep into it when it mm. comes to that, the imagery and everything. I think he just kind of wants us to be sort of swept away by it both um shanley and um jewison they just want us to kind of just go with it okay and i'm very happy to do that myself just kind of be like yeah yeah it's just a a romantic fairy tale and everything makes sense within the world you know it's very it's very insular in a way it's kind of devoid of any sort of outside world influences it's very much about it's like it's like everything is happening for them for these characters, and I think that's what makes it work. There's um there's an internal logic to everything. Yeah. Like when they're sitting yeah. around the dinner table, all the parents and they're talking about this romantic moon that they all saw like twenty years ago. Everyone just kind of goes, "Yes, of course, that is the moon. That's that's the mm. romantic moon." Oh, a fun fact about this: Nicholas Cage's screen test. This is a complete tangent. Didn't impress the studio, and they wanted to get someone else to play Ronnie. But Chair insisted that Cage was the one to play that role and threatened to quit unless he was hired. And after a few days, the studio finally relented. Wow, it's like the reverse Kathleen Turner. It's, it is the reverse Kathleen Turner. It's, it's Was he a nightmare on the set of this movie as well? Uh, I have found no evidence to say that he was a nightmare. Okay, that's good. Film. I think largely because he just learned, learned to do his own thing. Yeah. 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 Also because he didn't have his big strong movie making uncle there to back him up oh, yes <laughs> and he'd lost a lot of his muscle mass and a few of his teeth yeah <laughs> oh, is there anything else that anyone wants to talk about um before we before we get to the wrapping up what do- my fourth note was smooth saxophone <laughs> okay do you want to talk about smooth saxophone well i just wrote it down because in the there's a mini scene when uh Cher is getting ready for the Met Opera and she is getting, she's like looking at her new shoes and her new dress that she bought and she's putting on lipstick and there's a smooth saxophone playing in the background. And that's it. (laughs) And I just went, ah, smooth saxophone. Mm. And I just wrote it down. So there you go. There was there was a little mystery in this film that Liam and I spent quite a while trying to unpack. Yeah. And it, didn't really become apparent until the end and even then there was still a lot of questions left unanswered mm, mm. nicholas cage's tattoo yes in this movie his big back tattoo yeah you never get a good look at it really and a lot of the time it's obscured underneath his tank top mm. 
I think we decided it was a lizard wearing a top hat and a monocle. Yeah, like a gecko or yeah. something. Yeah. That was like plastered to his back. Why? Huh. Why not? Uh, I mean, that again, is a valid point when it comes to the cage. The wolf and the bride and the fancy lizard. Of guns. <laughs> of guns to Busan. <gasps> yeah, why? What, what? What is it about Ronnie that would, like, why would he pick that? Like, everything else in this movie seems very deliberate. And things seem to be chosen for a reason. And, you know, the artwork in Ronnie's house makes sense too. There's lots of opera posters and the music and the soundtrack. And then just this lizard wearing a top hat and a monocle on Ronnie's shoulder. Shoulder blade is like, ah, oh, okay, that's a... Do you think that Nicolas Cage actually has that tattoo? You know, I don't know. Hmm. We'll bring that to you next week, listeners. Nicolas Cage's mm-hmm. tattoo choices in personal life. Does he have any? Are any of Angari Rice? We will let you know. Do I have any tattoos of Nicolas Cage? Ooh. Yes, ah. I have a tattoo of the character he plays in G-Force on my left shoulder blade. Ashante. Ashante. Yes, Angari Rice has a very prominent mole, but not the kind you think. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, how about we wrap up by giving this this film a rating. Now, you know how the ratings work here on Gary at Not The Bees? Yes, they work in a very arbitrary sense no, that makes me very uncomfortable. don't say it's arbitrary. Everything is very, ma- we're very mathematically minded here at Not The Bees. If anyone has listened to my podcast, you will know yeah. well, Would you like to- <laughs> that I request all of my guests choose the five-star rating because it makes sense. But that's what makes you charming. That, well, out of a possible 13, that is one, three yes. severed hands- what are we going to give Moonstruck? Angari, do you want to go first? Yeah. How many? Angari Rice. Moonstruck. Out of 13 out possible of 13, seven hands. 13, well, this is the thing. It's an, it's an uneven number, which makes it very frustrating. Okay. Uh, 13. Um, 11. 11. 11. 11 severed hands slash. Yeah. 11. 11. Just a solid 11? Let's go with that. Well, now you're making me question no, no, myself. No, 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 It just sounded like you wanted to go for like a point that it could be like 11 severed hands and do you want to throw in a couple of extra I, fingers? I don't know. I will throw in, okay, 11 severed hands and one, and one, and one lizard tattoo wearing a monocle. Liam. Um, uh, I am happy to give it 12 severed hands mm-hmm. and a glass of water to the face. Yeah, yeah. I reckon I'll join you on 12 severed hands, but I'm going to up it your liz- your your glass of water. I'm going to go one further. Yeah. Just just one ahead. Uh-huh. And give it some bread for life. Ah, okay. Yeah, because bread is life. Bread is life. Bread is and life. And I've been saying this for years. And no one listens. And I feel finally seen by Nicolas Cage in this movie saying that bread is life because it is because he's here for you and Gary it's yeah. absolutely life yeah yeah I really I really feel that so tw- yeah I'll give it 12 7 I I loved this film it was a great movie it was a great film and I would watch it again yeah. um yeah I would watch it again so if you haven't seen it uh give it a watch and then let us know what you think at not the bees pod on twitter or not the bees pod pod at gmail.com. Uh, does Angari want to plug her podcast? Yeah, Angari doing... Rice. You, you want to plug anything you've got coming up? You've got your own podcast, your line of uh, soaps yes. and hats that's coming out. What do you want to plug? <laughs> soaps and hats and hats made of soap and soap made of, made of hats. Of hats. Oh. Wow. Um, I would like, yes, I would like to plug my podcast i have my own podcast it's called the community library and um in it i talk about books and sometimes movies and fairy tales and mythology and anything to do with stories and reading basically uh and i have also had lawrence on as a guest a few times so there are a few episodes with him in it if you want to hear more of his voice and my and my voice together uh, and you can find me on Instagram at the underscore community underscore library or on Twitter at Angari Rice or on Instagram at Angari Rice. I'm around. You'll find me. <laughs> She's on things. You, I'm on things. You can Google her. You can, there's a thing there. 
Well, and Gary, it's been so nice having you on Not The Bees. And thank you for being our inaugural guest. Um, thank you for allowing me to push my way onto your podcast about Nicolas Cage. I had a great time. Yeah, all those, you just sending us Zoom links every day until we, you know, <laughs> relented really paid off. Yeah. Um, and also thank you for letting me uh, choose which Nick Cage film I wanted to see <laughs> rather than forcing me through. <laughs> through Birdie. What was the oh, first God. one? Uh, what was the, the first f- one you... The Best of Times? Yeah. The Best of Times rather than forcing me to watch The Best uh, of we, Times. We, we, so, we, we will you. make you watch The Best of Times just at a later date. Okay, great. Um, until next week where we bring you, we believe, Vampire's Kiss. It is Vampire's Kiss, I do believe. Uh, also, we just mentioned you can get Moonstruck on Stan or you can rent it on the YouTubes and everything if you want to watch it. Uh, where we delve into the madness of Vampire's Kiss, which is responsible for 95% of all the memes of Nicolas Cage you've ever seen. My name is Lawrence. And I've been Liam. And this has been Not The Bees with Angari Rice. Bye. Not The Bees!